Welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. It's the show where everything matters because everything belongs to God. We're back this week with uh, Nate Wright and Ben Emery from the Rebel Alliance Media Network. We've got Joe Boot back again, and we pick up the conversation that we started last week on the kind of culture that we're creating, on the cultural path that we're on, and how Christians have been complicit in our cultural decline, and also what we can learn from the evangelical legacy of cultural reformation. We're going to drop you right back in where we left off. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it seems to me two different. So first of all, Ryan, you asked, so what does culture look like? So we've talked a little bit about what culture might look like if we keep going in the way we're going, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. just like really practically individual level, it looks like a whole lot more 30 year olds in their parents' basement, a whole lot more depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. health problems, because as Joe was just saying, this is where purpose comes in, right? God created man to work towards the building of God's kingdom on earth. That's what that's our fundamental purpose. And so you take that away, of course, depression and anxiety and, and fear and all of those things come on the rise with purposelessness and, and the desire for a life without responsibility comes a whole lot more men playing video games in their parents' basement until mm-hmm. they're 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, so, and then what kind of culture does that then, right? So, so those 30-year-olds, we're not there yet. Those 30-year-olds right now aren't in the working force. Maybe they are and they're doing something. But the culture that, that they will create, we're not living in that yet. Yeah. <laughs> we will. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and I guess that's the scary part. Um, and, and I guess the... Um, when, when you think about this and you think about, um, so we've, we've kind of criticized both the, the Christian extremes of, um, kind of, uh, the cultural Marxist Christianity, as well as we've, we've, uh, the escapist, we just got our ticket to heaven and you can see that there's no, there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. I think in reaction to the escapism of our parents, right, my generation, have then adopted the cultural Marxist Christianity because we realize, well, wait a minute, you guys don't care about the earth and you guys don't care about these issues of global warming and overpopulation, all these sorts of things. Well, Mm -hmm. we do. We think the love of God has something to say about these things. And then we go in, but now we've adopted the world's methods of progress because they've established them because they co-opted this, as you said, all those years ago. So now we're just coming in and alongside and you have a whole lot of Christians who are late to the party mm-hmm. and taking their cues from the world on how to bring Christ's kingdom to earth. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And there's no, and, and, and there's no need for it. Uh, this, um, I mean, you raise a very important point and, I, and I've talked about this repeatedly that we shouldn't be too harsh on the younger generation given what they were taught in the, in school and in the church uh in terms of this escapist you know world denying yeah. creation denying culture denying kind of christianity so you can understand why when they feel and they intuitively sense there's something missing there's something wrong with that perspective uh that they then are casting about to find uh some tools uh, okay, well, what kind of what kind of prophecy, what kind of word for culture is there? And what's happened is various uh, humanistic and pagan ideas have been sort of pseudo-baptized Christian and then applied. But actually, we've got paradigms. I mean, beginning with, it was John Calvin who really made the break with this dualistic 
uh, perspective. You've got the affirmation of every vocation as being holy to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've got a, although it wasn't a root and branch uh, rejection of some of the scholastic ideas, there was a definitive break in Calvin that rejected this kind of dualism. Um, and and so in the Puritans, his heirs in Scotland and England and in North America, in, in the United States, in the colonies anyway, and in the early constitutional period of the U.S., as well as in the evangelicals um, in the 19th century, uh, late 18th and early 19th century, take William Wilberforce, for example, it was actually evangelicals who led the way in these areas of cultural reformation. There was no uh, um, disjunction in their minds between, uh, certainly in the mind of somebody like Wilberforce, between God's, God's covenant and the implications of that for Britain if it persisted in a godless slave trade uh, and the, the social cultural consequences of what that would mean and he wrote to MPs in terms of that mm-hmm. uh, just as Oliver Cromwell preached sermons to uh, the long parliament and so forth I mean Wilberforce appealed to MPs in terms of the covenant of God and evangelicals led the way in terms of challenging uh, slavery uh, in terms of um, child labor, in terms of prison reform, in terms of legal reforms. Um, all of these things were done by evangelicals. And they didn't see a, a contradiction between that and the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. This was a manifestation of it. And uh, you, you see the influence that, that Wilberforce had, even on great parliamentarians like Edmund Burke. Uh, in, yeah. in the British Parliament, a huge in his in Edmund Burke's critique of the French Revolution. So there are there are some examples there in the Puritans and in the Evangelicals for us, but we don't talk about them. Right. Yeah. And um, and and there's more recent uh, cultural critics uh, among some of the new Puritans that I've talked about in the Mission of God, who help us um, pick up on this tradition and and carry it forward. And then you've got tremendous help. Uh, from the 19th century and early 20th century in the Dutch reform tradition in, in terms of um, uh, Groen van Prinsterer and then Abraham Kuyper who followed in his legacy there uh, and um, thinkers like uh, Vollenhoven and Doerverd who helped us to grapple with what does the Christian biblical worldview in its fullness mean for every single aspect of life and what does a reformational vision really look like? How do we apply it? So the examples are there, but they've been forgotten, buried. Uh, Maybe uh, they're seen as, um, you know, they're just too old. Or maybe it's seen as some of them weren't writing in the English language. I don't know what the excuses might be. But we've not let this tradition, even those who interpret the Puritans today amongst the Reformed and Evangelicals, studiously avoid this cultural aspect. They're interested in the Puritans' prayer life, devotional life, and so forth. They're not interested in what they had to say about... Law, politics, culture, education, and so on. They're just not interested in going there. They're, in fact, they're afraid to, yeah. to have those well, conversations. I, I mean, you think it has... I mean, if you don't have any sense of, of optimism in terms of the future and the success and the victory of the gospel, um, right, all culture uh, is made up of... Right, we all, we all understand uh, even, even the most radically two-kingdom... Uh, uh, type person understands the effect that the gospel has on an individual. Yes. Right, a, a, a person's heart is renewed by the mm-hmm. power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
if we don't have any sort of um, optimism in terms of the victory of the gospel on, on, in a broad scale, we just don't think that there will be enough individuals <laughs> to right. change yeah. the culture, yeah. right? Because yeah. Which is a funny view yeah. of the sovereignty yeah. of God, don't you think? Yes. Uh, well, and the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. Well, and they all have their, their favorite Bible verses, right? The narrow road, and, and they have their, their, have, they have their, their little proof texts. They quote. Proof texts. Yep. And, and that is, and I think that was one of the main theses of, of Mission of God was that we've adopted, um, you know, there's been this resurgence of Reformed theology, soteriology, mm-hmm. right? The Puritan um, soteriology is, is all the latest buzz. We're young, restless, and Reformed because yep. we're all Calvinists now, but we've, we have not adopted their missiology. No. And to them, there was no separation between the two. There and be. Well, mm-hmm. and I see... That's right. They often historically, so I, I'd, I'd be interested to see how you respond to this, Joe. Historically, they dismiss it as sort of, well, some of these guys, they're, they're writing at a time where they're seeing Christian progress in the culture. And, and then, you know, of course, they couldn't see 100 years in the future where the effects of their worldview and their, their efforts didn't have the lasting effect on the culture that they thought. And they, you know, their children and their grandchildren went astray. And then, of course, the First World War, the Second World War. And so I think, I think, I'd be interested to see how you respond to this, but I, I think it was just them allowing the, what they see to dictate what they believe, right? And faith has always been not by sight. But so it's it's what I see in the culture around me. I think uh, Rush Dooney called it newspaper exegesis, right? Mm-hmm. Is is because this is what I see going on around me. This must mm-hmm. be the trajectory mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. And so they would say the Puritans thought that, and you know, Jonathan Edwards was optimistic about it because he was living during the Great Awakening, but he mm-hmm. he he couldn't have saw you know mm-hmm. the Great Depression and the First and the Second World War. So I'd just be interested to, to if you had a minute with somebody who was making that argument, how would you respond? Nonsense. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's I, funny. It's funny though. Like as you're talking about some of these early reformers. Sorry, Joe. Um, go ahead. I'll let you cut in there because I'm just forming some other thoughts beyond okay. nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was a good summary. You can drive that in again. Yeah. Um, you can begin and end with it. But like as you're talking about these reformers and the the pro- the gospel progress that they made. Like what? When were they were they seeing this gospel progress when they were you know eating poisoned soup or were they yeah. seeing this gospel progress when they were being chased out of town like what uh what what, well, what are they what do they have in mind there right. to the Let's... point there i think is um what i was going to say immediately was the puritans were a persecuted minority yeah the notion that they were living in some kind of evangelical you know um paradisal age and they were just seeing what was going on and therefore it is complete nonsense um, the, the the Puritans in the uh, established church in England were a persecuted minority. Uh, even Elizabeth um, Elizabeth I was not uh, friendly toward the Puritans, and uh, Knox was very guarded about when he would even return to to Britain um, uh, to uh, to Scotland and then and then to England, given what he'd said about um, the rule of a previous female monarch. Um, so. <laughs> You know, th- this notion that they were living in this sort of golden age of, of, of Protestant glory is really just a complete misnomer. Look at the battle that Oliver Cromwell had. Look at the struggle uh, that he had. And in the end, um, uh, his son was not able to carry things on because the nobles and the, the aristocracy did not want um, to lose their positions of power and influence and so forth. And they sold out the, 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 the if you will, the Christian 
revolution in England. Now, we did see the glorious revolution in 1688, and there was William of Orange and so forth, and that, that helped establish some of the freedoms that the Puritans were, were seeking to, 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 to affirm. Um, but this notion that there was some sort of um, uh, golden age for them and they couldn't possibly have seen ahead. No, actually, what went on was that uh, humanistic philosophy still had a foothold. And the Cambridge Platonists, in, in the end, overturned the Puritan direction of Cambridge University and they exported their humanistic philosophy uh, over to um, North America. Now, it's true that somebody like Jonathan Edwards didn't feel the need to speak a great deal about um, his politics because he was able, because of the Puritan establishment of, of the colonies, was able to presuppose that he was surrounded by an essentially and broadly Christian culture. And so what was needed was to maintain, um, uh, well, with the Great Awakening, to maintain a, a Christian ardor, a Christian fervor, a Christian passion for the gospel. And as you know, um, yes, Edwards had a very optimistic view of the future. Um, but there were a variety of forces that began to break that down. And people forget that, you know, just because one generation has been faithful or has a certain insight and works in terms of it, does not mean that the next generation is going to be faithful and work in terms of that insight into like the fullness the, the of the gospel. The book of Judges kind of... Right. Yeah. Look at the kings. That, yeah. Right, absolutely. And, and kings, uh, kings and Chronicles. Yeah. Gives you so this notion that well look and I've been told before yeah well look yeah the, the Puritan thing failed they failed and I'm like well what what do you mean by that first of all that's a remarkable judgment to pronounce upon history <laughs> uh, that you're in the position of God to say that their faithfulness failed I mean there are many scholars who today would argue that we're still living off the the kinetic energy yes. of. Uh, of a Protestant Puritan approach to work and economics and uh, family and so forth. We're still, we're still living off that. So the yeah. notion that that failed, I think, is a remarkable thing to say. But the fact that we hadn't, haven't maintained that, uh, that evangelical discipline for culture is to do with apostasy and faithlessness. I thought a badge of honor, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, as though because each generation is responsible. A whole generation, as you know, died in the wilderness. Um, because of unbelief. Right. God judged the whole generation. They didn't enter the promised land. Right. And uh, each successive generation in the life of the Christian church amongst the people of God is responsible. We're all responsible for our generation, for our faithfulness or apostasy, for, for belief or unbelief. Right. And so what I leave for my children and my grandchildren is going to be a reflection of what I really believed about God. Yeah. about the kingdom about the gospel so we've turned this kind of world about we've turned actually unbelief and disobedience into a kind of piety right. that deserves applause right. right oh you're so pious yeah. because you see what an awful mess we're in and how it's all going to get worse and how terrible everything is aren't you pious i i, I just can't see it that way yeah. yeah right we're responsible for if we're salt and light uh in the world Christ was very clear, salt that loses its saltiness, it's worthless, you may as well toss it out. It's, yeah. Can't even keep the grass off the path. Um, and you don't take a lamp and stick it under a bed. And this seems to be the posture that we are almost more pious if we uh, simply declare how terrible education is and how awful it's going to be and how it, awful it will be. And yet we still send our kids there. <laughs> and then we say, well, how terrible politics is and how awful all the politicians are. And yet we never enter politics. Right. 
and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy based yeah. in unbelief yeah. and in the end Nate I, uh, Ben to my mind it's unbelief yeah. it's the belief that the the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent into the world because he says it's better for you that I go because then I'll send the Holy Spirit who's going to uh, convince the world of sin, righteousness and judgment through you. And I'm giving you, Scripture says, a ministry of reconciliation. Christ is reconciling the world to himself. So you have a ministry of reconciliation. And it's as though we think we're more pious if we abandon that ministry. Right. And the culture says, I forget which poet was, poet was who said this now. He said, you know, the Christian is wholly unreliable in the affairs of culture because he's always ready to run away to the kingdom that's not of this world, which is, of course, a misunderstanding of that uh, ta- that text. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving us, he said, the, the poets with our chestnuts still in the fire. In other words, they're there wondering what to do with the mess that the world is. And the Christians are, oh, it's bad. We're gone. We're out of here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave you with Jeez. those. Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. unbelief has been sanctified. Yeah. That's yeah. That's interestingly enough. You talk about the generation that never got to. You know, it's it's only only the two guys that were yes. willing to go we and saw. fight yeah. a bunch of giants. Right. Yeah. Were allowed to, to enter. Go yeah. in. And that's we right. name our kids Joshua and Caleb <laughs> to <laughs> commemorate that, not Igdal and you know, yeah. all the, yeah. the other ten. <laughs> yeah. but, that's right. Yeah. But it's it. You know it. Uh, it kind of comes back. You were just talking about how um, the Puritans were persecuted. All these. Uh, I think maybe almost a good way. I don't know how quickly you want to wrap up the conversation, Ryan, but um, you know, you go back to Hebrews 11 and 12 and, and uh, the author is telling us that none of these, none of these um, heroes of the faith saw the fulfillment no. of what they believed That's in. Right. They pressed and on. They in pressed faith. on in faith. And then, you know, Jesus comes along and he models to us um, what it takes in order to see um, faith established in a previous generation. When he comes along and he says, unless a, a Let's say greatest seed goes into the ground and, and dies, it will bear no fruit. And so um, the unwillingness of each generation to, to die in that way, right? That death, burial, resurrection pattern that Jesus lays out, that's how Christians win the world. Death, burial, and resurrection, right? It's like laying down our lives for the sake of something greater. And, uh, and because each generation is unwilling to do that, I think it's been easier for them to surrender the belief that it's possible than it is for them to admit, I'm just not willing to die. I'm just not willing to surrender my own story, my own freedom, my own desire. And yet the world Mm -hmm. doesn't. Mm -hmm. The world presses on time and again with the same failed utopian delusions and thinks that it is going to be able to uh, recreate paradise when in fact we know that it's Jesus Christ alone who establishes his kingdom and he enlists us in the task of faithfulness. And it isn't, you see, when people ask me, well, you know, um, you know, I was once asked by a group of uh, uh, Baptist leaders here who sat in the lounge downstairs and they said, well, we've got a few concerns about, uh, you know, what you're doing and saying. I said, oh, shoot, shoot, what are they? He said, well, are you trying to Christianize Canada? And I said, are you? I said, what are you trying to do with it? I said, I'm not trying to paganize it or Islamicize it. I said, so what are you trying to do with it? I said, this is not about what I'm trying to do. This is about what Jesus Christ has said about his kingdom. That, that it is like the leaven that leavens the whole loaf. That it's, it's, and it is not up to me what God does 
in my generation through my faithfulness. The results are up to God. What he requires of us yeah. is faithfulness to his word. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that's where people um, mistakenly may get turned off to just this idea in general of, of an optimistic cultural you know, cultural reformation is, um, you know, not this sort of top-down, um, uh, you know, supplanting, uh, you know, all the institutions and, you know, propping up Christian leaders and, you know, somehow that will um, overnight mm-hmm. Christianize the nation, yeah. as you know, mm-hmm. as they say, and, you know, it's, 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 it's just obedience. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just calling Christians yeah. to Long obedience faithfulness in, 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 yeah, in every area. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's really not as, um, you know, difficult or crazy and it's not as, that it, complex. as it's made I mean, out to be. Yeah. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. That's what he said. Yeah. All authority belongs to him. Therefore you go and teach and discipline the nations. That's right. The nations. Yeah. So how we can just say, well, you know, I mean, somebody like Michael Horton just says, you know, well, let's just put, we're, we're to point towards Perusia. You know, in this in this in this horrible hiatus, this gap between the resurrection and Christ's second coming. Well, I point out in Mission of God, Jesus didn't didn't position the coming of God, the Holy Spirit, in those terms. <laughs> yeah. Right? He said, It's better that I go. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then I'm gonna send to you one the same as myself, right. one like myself. And he's gonna convince the world. And it'll be through you because the authority is mine. That's right. And it's in his authority that we go. So any of this, this world abandoning talk is rooted fundamentally both in unbelief and in humanistic philosophy, what not did, the Bible. What did he do immediately, right? When the, when the disciples are doing exactly what you just say, you know, pointing to the Perusia, standing up there, mm-hmm. looking at Why? heaven. Why? Why? Look he sends them an yeah. angel. Yeah. He says, yeah. get out of here. Like, yeah. go do your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when they got obsessed with the, the Perusia end times discourse and they said, well, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel, Lord? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, right. which get, the Father is said. Work. Mm-hmm. You go and be my witnesses. Get on with the task. Uh, but we would rather sit and spend our time, one segment of the church, build, making charts about the second coming. Um, and the other would yeah. rather talk about how sanctified and reformed they are for um, denying culture and creation and um, escaping the world just barely with the resurrection of the body. I mean, do they know what spirit they're of? Right. I don't know. That, and I mean, that, even that, you know, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, you know, teach them obedience. What we've, because we so many have not connected the dots in the grand narrative, we, we, we have no concept of Psalm 2 when we think about that. Psalm 2, right? Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. So the, the obedience of the nations is the inheritance of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So essentially what he's saying in the Great Commission is, since I have all authority, go mm-hmm. get me my inheritance. And we're trying, go, to, we're go, trying to deny him. Yeah, so and what they'll say is, yes. they'll say to you, well, yes, that's all very good. That he gets the nations at the end, right? right mm-hmm. At the Perusia. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that, of course, in the context of Psalm 2, is that it's a prophecy about the, the first coming right. of the Messiah. Exactly. And he says, kiss the son, yeah. lest he be angry yeah. and you perish in the way. Yeah. Oh, For kings his wrath, of the earth be kings wise. Kings of the earth be wise. So he's right. not talking about... The sweet by and by over the River yeah. Jordan, which they want He's talking about now the kingdoms of the earth becoming yeah. the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So the clearly the, the, the context is one about 
history. That's right. It's not about some ahistorical moment, which which they they tend to, to to think of. It's about history now. And of course, there are there are man- many passages like that. The Psalm 110 as well is very important. Um, that deal with this. In fact, Revelation itself, Revelation 1.5, says that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's right. Yeah. So it's the, the need to immunitize the reality of Christ's lordship and kingship. That's where the, that's where the challenge lies. Um, rather than this shunting, uh, this shunting everything off to uh, some other realm, which is the, in, the inherent dualism that is inherited again from Greek philosophy that's been built into certain elements of Christian philosophy that's made us, uh, uh, you know, a sort of world denying um, uh, evangelical movement and that sees that actually as pious. That's right. Mm. So, I mean, I don't think any, I don't think any of us would be here if everything that we've been describing has been worked were tolerable to us. Um, so, Joe, can you just, uh, before we wrap up here, can you just talk a little bit about what's going on here? What are we doing as an institute? Why are we building some of these uh, some of these friendships with a lot of like-minded people? What's, what's happening to reverse this trend? What's happening to prevent losing our next generation to, mm-hmm. to a faithless outlook? Well, certainly, first of all, we'd have to say that we don't see ourselves as the sole answer to to the problems of the people of God or of the institutional church. No, of course, we see ourselves as 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 a part of um, a faithful response mm-hmm. to the context in which we're living. No, we're tra- we're trying to plant and water. That's right, and and as you said, work with like-minded people to uh, to get a, a kind of mere mere christianity a mere christian culture yeah. together a mere yeah. kingdom of god yeah. kind of that, that's you guys the uh, minded uh, people yeah. Yeah. Who, i'm fine being described as mere yeah <laughs> that, that would say you know um we may not uh, agree on every single aspect of all of the detail but we're on the same trajectory yeah. we're, we're on the yeah. we're on the same path together and we might be pentecostal or charismatic or baptist or presbyterian or dutch reformed or whatever it might be um but we can can we come around a a vision of the kingdom of god uh, as we work on some of those uh, important distinctions and and help one another mm-hmm. right with mm-hmm. uh, with a with a deeper understanding of scripture how can we move in a trajectory that recognizes the lordship of jesus christ and his kingship and his ownership of the totality of all things um and shake ourselves out of this sort of sleep um cultural sleep uh, that we've been in for some time as we now turn around and wonder why, oh why is the school so bad why is the culture so bad or where, where were you for the last 50 years yeah, yeah. so we needed we needed a, a, a new generation of of leaders to be raised up um beginning with our teens right now and of course with our uh, 20s and 30s who are going to come through into christian leadership in in the institutional church and in the rest of the culture as god's people as the people of god in every area of life with a, uh, an understanding of this biblical paradigm, the simplicity of that creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and the, the meaning of Christ's lordship and his kingdom and how that needs to be worked out in every aspect of life so that we start to recognize that this world is our home. Mm-hmm. 
There is only one creation. There's only ever going to be one creation. And this creation is going to be released from its bondage to decay. And we're part of that. And that's what the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually testifies to. That the world, creation, the body actually matters. And what we do in every aspect of life and culture matters to God. And actually obedience to Christ means faithfulness in all of these areas. So what we're hoping to do and trying to do is say, how can we gather for strategic opportunities? Some of them are just one night lectures, escarpment lectures and, or leadership roundtables where we gather leaders for a day where we're trying to sow seed in this area, mm -hmm. scatter the mm -hmm. seed. And then there are some more intense, intensive, I should say, um, opportunities to come together for a longer period of time to really start to, um, I hesitate to use the word we reprogram, actually probably deprogram is the yeah. better expression. And then, and then fill with a, with, a, with, a, with a new vision of a biblical world and life view, what it really means to think out the implications of the gospel for every aspect of life. So it's not just, hey, I'm saved, I've got my ticket to heaven, hope to see you there. Maybe I'll grab a couple of brands from the burning on my way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But actually, what does it mean to, to, to live as a Christian in the totality of my life so that it's not just evangelism but it's evangelization it's how is there a transformation going to take place in in <clears throat> the totality of my personal life vocational life social life professional life church life cultural life civic life in all of these aspects what does it mean for us to say this belongs to christ jesus he is lord he loves his creation and he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. So we have the Worldview Leadership Camp, which is for our high school age students, 14 to 18. That's a one week intensive time of teaching and joy and fun mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. and leisure. And then there's our, our gold standard, which is our Runner Academy program, which is a two week, 12 day intensive residential program uh, on site where we are um, bringing that Christian world and life you to bear in all of these different areas for people between 19 and let's say 40. But if you're a bit older and you want to sneak in and you've got a particularly good justification for that, we'll let you in. Mm -hmm. um, but the focus is the younger gen raising up that younger generation of leaders. Yep. And part of all of that is that we're trying to manifest our care for creation, even with the way we use our own land here at the center, because we have a, the beginnings of our um, organic permacultural farming project here so people get to participate in woodland maintenance and farming activities as as well as the teaching and leisure activities and so forth that go on as part of that time together so what does it mean to think about the totality of god's creation in a manner that brings glory to god and seeks to extend his kingdom and so we're trying to put a positive step forward and the thing is it's not enough to listen to one podcast yeah uh pick up one short monograph and and say well that'll do we have to get rid of this intellectual laziness that we've developed as a culture and as a church. Say, so what does it mean to actually take responsibility in my thinking? I have to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind as well. What does it mean to love God with the mind? It means to think these things through and then go and responsibly apply them. So these are an opportunity to go deeper, to really get this, this uh, paradigm, this perspective of scripture deeply rooted in our being. So that actually we don't need to attend 50 conferences a year. We actually learn then to learn it for ourselves, to look at these areas for ourselves, to get a library card and and develop this thinking um, for ourselves and uh, and teach our children and our neighbours and our friends and our 
church community and so forth what this really means that's the way we'll see a grassroots reformation in the life of the church and if the eacc can play a small part in that well that's our that's a privilege for us awesome uh, thanks a lot Joe. that was my commercial uh, no no i appreciate it it sounds uh sounds like something follow me I'd on like twitter by the at. way as well i mean that's really yeah, important yeah. i mean obviously <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know if you want a simple readable introduction to this just pick up it's a few bucks like 3.99 for mission developing a scriptural cultural theology that's a really good starting point to say okay what, what does this actually mean how do i th think about this and then come go deeper with us join us come and experience the institute and listen to uh, the podcast of the rebel podcast here that the boys have got going yeah totally <laughs> Uh, oh man, Nate, did you want to introduce your show? <laughs> uh, well, I can I can just say that uh, uh, you know Rebel Alliance uh, Media really exists because um, we were influenced by the Ezra Institute and and everything that uh, that Joe uh, put out in the Mission of God. So so we exist because of this, because of what you guys are doing as well. So um, our our kind of mandate is to equip Christians to think biblically. Um, and uh, to help uh, equip Christians to think uh, biblically about the culture in particular, um, because there are so many Christians who don't, as we've been discussing for the better part of an hour now. So, um, yeah, so we, we have some podcasts. Uh, we have podcasts for kids. Um, we have podcasts that uh, the Van Brimmer family does for your kids called uh, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, teaching kids about creeds and confessions and church history. Uh, we have the Awakening Reformation podcast where they talk uh, really kind of taking that idea of getting woke, but, uh, but using, you know, the doctrine of enlightenment that, that the Holy Spirit um, opens the eyes of our heart, regenerates our heart, get woke to God's real, actual plan for the world. Uh, the Rebel Podcast drops on Wednesdays, um, and we also have a Redeeming History podcast that Ben does, uh, where he goes through different parts of history and teaches it from a biblical perspective. God is the author of history. So in all of these different areas, we're just trying to do the same thing. We're trying to help Christians think biblically about the culture that they live in. We talk about politics and economics, and we talk about um, Hollywood and, and movies and culture, um, because none of these things are, are separated from the Lordship of Christ. And so uh, we're just uh, a supplement to um, hopefully the good biblical teaching that Christians are getting and we you know, get to talk about movies that are dropping and politicians that are doing particularly odd things um, and, uh, and trying to, as Bonson would say, think Christianly about these things. Um, so that's, uh, that's why we exist, and uh, we're, just, we're just happy to be along with uh, Ezra Institute for the ride because uh, we think what you guys are doing is great, and uh, we just, we just want to see Christ's lordship invade every, every aspect. So uh, we do that find us on Facebook. Uh, you can just go to rebelalliancemedia.com. That's where you'll find all our content. We teach through eschatology and books of the Bible and stuff as well. So there's just lots of content and it's all meant to equip you to think biblically through the culture. Fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, it's really encouraging to have you guys just knowing that uh, that you're around. And yeah, doing, and a big yeah, encouragement doing, to doing us a great job. to know that um, you know some of what the Institute has been doing influenced two young leaders like you to go and lead all Absolutely. these other people both in the church and in the following you've got uh, online so that that's a huge encouragement to us uh, it spurs us on to, to keep going people are listening joe so keep talking <laughs> <laughs> guys it's all been right. great to have you here thanks for being great here. to be here thanks and thanks joe pleasure Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. 
please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.